Welcome, welcome. Uh, we're talking tunes today with Mark Archer, one half of Alternate Nexus 21 DJ Next. How are you, Mark? I'm fine, thank you very much. So look, this one's got a bit of an interesting intro, uh, Shaka Khan. So uh, we'll let this one play out and then talk some tunes. Hey, superb. So this first tune, Shaka Khan, that's, uh, that's uh, we're really going back, right? This is, um, what, 1983? Shaka Khan Ain't Nobody? Yes, it's quite an early one. A lot of great singing in it, Shaka Khan. How do we start out with this one? To be honest, I think I've got the record, because I used to uh, I used to get the seven-inch singles that came off the jukebox down at the, the pub that was near me, because I was living in a, a small village where you know, there was, there was no kind of scene at all. There was no one else who's in the same kind of music. So I kind of relied on getting these records that I liked when they'd done their thing on the jukebox. I was allowed to buy them for 50p each. So this was one of the ones that, that I got and then featured in the film Breakdance, yeah. which, uh, you know, made it even more special. Um, and I've always, always liked it. I mean, I've probably got about five different copies of it, you know, that, are, that I've purchased in shops or at car boot sales or whatever. And then um, meeting Nicky, the, the whole meaning of the song completely changed, you know, it became very personal and it was one of the songs that uh, we played on our wedding day. It's got a huge history, right, this track? 
Which way do we go? Do we talk about Nikki or do we talk about your amazing vinyl collection? I suppose we should talk about your lovely wife first, perhaps. And uh, NLA artist management, very busy. Well, <laughs> normal circumstances, obviously. Yes. Well, she, she was. Yeah, she was. She was uh, very busy up until the, the whole pandemic started, and then it's. It, then she was busy again for a completely different reason, having to to cancel, you know, postpone gigs, move people to different times, see if they can make a new date, and then that date was cancelled. And it's it's been a, a proper roller coaster, you know, something that a lot of people, you know, don't initially think of. Um, when they're seeing what's happened to the entertainment industry, so it's been it's been a very difficult time, you know, with myself not being able to gig and and also Nikki not being able to uh, sort gigs out for people. Absolute, yeah, it's an absolute devastation. I want to talk a bit about the artist management because she has quite a lot of artists on her roster, doesn't she? Yourself included. Yeah, well, originally the the. Um, the the well, the the idea was that she would look after my gigs because I had quite a bad year. It was about 2014. Someone was looking after my gigs at the time, and I passed any gig inquiry that came in to me through the usual channels, like Facebook or email or whatever. But no new gigs came in. You know, they didn't seem to be able to, to pull any gigs in for me. And it was a really bad year. Um, and Nikki said, look, just give me a month or two and see if I can turn it round. Obviously, if I can't turn it round, then, you know, go try another avenue. And and within a couple of months, you know, gigs had started coming in and she completely turned it around. And then people were noticing that I was playing more gigs and saying, I've seen that Nikki's doing your gigs. Do you think she'd look after me? Yeah. So we went from that to having a roster of like over 30 artists, you know, pretty much everyone on the on the old school circuit. Um, so she's 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 absolutely smashed it in quite a short space of time. This is a, a, a we're, we're onto an even older tune, right? We've gone from 1983 all the way back to 1977. Judy, how are you pronouncing this one? Judy Tunsky? Suk. Suk, right, there you go. Suk. Stay with me till dawn. Yeah. Wow, man, where, where are we going with this? My dad was well into his music. I mean, he was a he was a, a vocalist with like a local band, uh, played congas uh, with them as well. So he was always you know singing around the house. Whenever like a tune that he was really into came on, he'd like shout to either me or my brother to turn the volume up, you know, and he'd, he'd just start singing, doing air drums and whatever. And this was one of those tunes. Um, so it's, you know, certain tunes like that of your childhood that kind of rub off on you and become, you know, favourites, even though it's not necessarily, you know, something that you'd get into when you're a teen. Yeah. And, and this is just one of those tunes. Absolutely love it. Um, I, I think Milo used it on, on his um, Destroy Rock and Roll album. Uh, he, he sampled it pretty well, but, the, you know, I obviously love the, the original version.
So if it's not too much of a personal question, what about your own children? Are they like, oh yeah, my dad's Mark Archer and they're well into some sort of music or are they following in your footsteps or are they doing something else, do you think? My daughter collects records. I, you know, I bought her a, a deck. She's blagged copies of Sheik albums and she came up to me one time and was like, Dad, have you got any Todd Edwards? Like, How on earth do you know about Todd Edwards? And, and blagged uh, a copy of, of one of the, the doubles I got of, of the Todd Edwards tune. Um, my son's done a couple of couple of mixes. He, he borrowed a controller once and, and did, you know, a, a mix that was way better than a lot of highly paid DJs. It gave him a few pointers, you know, uh, you know how to blend things together and take the bass out and, and certain things. And he, he did an absolutely brilliant mix. So he, he loves his tunes. My youngest son, he took quite a while to get into a certain kind of thing. He, he was he was like me when he was younger, very open to everything, you know, anything that played on the radio, he'd listen to. He didn't have a, a preference. Since he's got a girlfriend and she's into a certain kind of, of music, he's kind of latched onto that a bit and, and, and gone with it. As I do. I mean, my eldest daughter likes One Direction, so... Yeah. <laughs> That's all your fault, is it? Uh, yeah. I think it's the rebellion, like, you know, teenage rebellion, get into One Direction. Yeah. <laughs> so what do your guys think about what you do and your sort of music? Yeah, they, they know their dad's got a different job. Dad doesn't do what a lot of other dads do. But to them, I am just dad. Of course. My youngest, actually, he works at this company in Stoke-on-Trent. He messaged me this week saying, oh, they've found out who my dad is. <laughs> and uh, apparently someone where he, he trained for the job knew and came to, to do like a one-to-one -one thing and mentioned it to the new staff at this, this job he's got. And one of the blokes there turned around and said, no effing way, your dad's Mark Archer. So he's, as long as it doesn't embarrass my kid, what I've done, that's the main thing. So he says he's quite proud of it, which is, which is nice. Yeah, cool. absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody would be like. So the thing we're talking about tunes is we don't really get to talk too much about them. So and we, we sort of we've gone through two tunes. We didn't really talk much about them. Now we're on to as one, uh, a short a short track about love from 1996. Talk a bit about it, Mark. What's the story? Um, it's a tune by uh, Kurt DiGiorgio, who's a you know, legendary techno producer. This track was one that actually helped me through a really difficult time in my life, um, where. A lot of people do suffer in, in certain points in their lives with mental health problems. Um, and I went through it in my mid to late 30s. Yeah. And that song was the thing that helped me. I, I put it on when I got in the car and drove around and just had that track on loop and it just allowed me to calm down and, and you know think clearly about things without getting angry, etc. Um, and it really did help and get, get me through a lot. So I I have actually thanked Kirk. I don't know how sincerely he took it, but it, it, it did really help that, that tune. So it's, it's a very special tune. 
Yeah, that's it's an important thing with music. Uh, maybe it's not for everybody, but I certainly find with music it can so much affect your mood and, and find you in a happy place, and especially now with the pandemic, etc. Which I don't want to go into too much because the pandemic will be over in a, in a bit. But it's like, yeah, music, man, it's always there for you, isn't it? It's always there for you. Totally. There's a certain kind of music that you don't need to try and park your car on the busy main road to. You know, I, I used to when when we were at the the height of the alternating. I lived on a, a main road in Stafford that was limited parking, and every day I'd have to try and squeeze my mini into a little parking space by reversing and and listening to like 92 hardcore full blast. It, it's not the kind of music to listen to when you're desperately trying to park your car. Like 92 Hardcore, that set you playing at Bang Face, man. Oh my God, that was such a brilliant set. But hey, we'll come back to that. If you talk about loose ends, hanging on a string, 1985, um, and then we'll get on to Oh man, that Bang Face set, seriously. Well, this tune, um, I mean, the, the first kind of music that I really kind of got into the whole scene, which I've, I've stuck with, was was like the whole breakdance electro thing in the early 80s, and hand in hand, the kind of soul and funk that was around at the time. And I think this this track, My Loose Ends, it's just the pinnacle track of that, that style of music, the, the R&B that was around at, at that particular time. So if anyone asks, is, you know, what, what's your favorite of this kind of music? It 100% be this track. Um, I think a lot of, not not just how, how great the vocal is and the, the 808 and all the rest that's in it, like the effects, it, it's one of those tracks that actually made me think about production. Um, even before, you know, like this is about three years before I ever dabbled in trying to make tunes. So it's how did they do that? There's a particular part in this where on the on the cowbell and the clap, there's like a pre-delay that makes it sound as though it's going backwards, even though it's not. And it's that was one of the things where I always said, I wonder how they do that. interview with you way back in 2013 and you were talking about how a lot of the alternate stuff where the elements came from uh, you know the 808 breakdowns and electro breakdowns and oh you know you bring in a bit of this and it brings familiarity and you said at the time you know when you're playing a set and it's something that literally is one of my golden rules when you're playing a set you need to play music that people understand and people can relate to you know um, so yeah that's why I thought talking to you is gonna be an hour and 20 minutes won't be enough time like you know <laughs> Try and cram them in. 
so let's talk about that Bankface set. Um, you know, I'd always check you out at Bankface, man. Uh, I think you played an amazing set. Um, but that one at Bankface, that you were playing a lot of what I would classify as like Fantasia, Universe, 1992, sort of top buzz sort of stuff. Um, that real breakbeat hardcore, really having it, 92 stuff. Man, that set was just brilliant end to the weekend. There's so many tunes from that from that like year that were just you know head and shoulders above you. There's with certain scenes, there's like so many tunes that come out, and there can be a lot of like mediocre stuff. But that year, there was so many absolute killer tunes that came out that you know defined that year. So it's you know when you when you put them into a set. And it's one after another after another, it's kind of relentless. Yeah, 92 is unreal, yeah. When you're playing at a festival or somewhere like that, and, and people have the option to go from room to room to room, you've got to try and keep up the pressure to make sure that not only people who are, who are going past hear what you're doing and, and stay, but also keep the people who are there, you know, dancing. Yeah. So which is why I try, you know, I try and keep it up with with just relentless banger after banger. I mean, if you play 92 stuff, uh, some people would play a lot of commercial stuff, and I know James goes a lot for the 92 stuff as well. And he would be playing 92 next door, but you were really keeping it because you were playing a lot of the underground, real, you know under the radar, nobody knew what the tune was. They'd recognise the tune, but they didn't know what it was, sort of stuff, you know? So yeah, it's a banging set, man. Thank you. Wow, see, look, we're going through these tunes. So, plus one featuring Chiron, it's happening. It's one of the tunes that I like anyway, you know, throughout that whole outdoor rave era like 1991. But there was a particular moment when we played a gig at, it was outside of a castle where they'd set a kind of stage at the back of the castle. And then there was a, a field that kind of went down from the castle and there was a big marquee at the top. So there's people dancing at the bottom of the field and then under the marquee and they'd set the stage up. And we did a, a Nexus 21 uh, live PA there and packed all our gear up and I went down into the crowd and this came on and it was one of the big tunes at the time but the whole crowd did the, the, the female vocal so every time that little woo came on the whole entire crowd joined in and it was just one of those magical moments you know where the, the, the goosebumps the hair stands up on the back of your neck just everyone singing together this tune it was just you know the, the whole rave scene came up with so many memories but that's that's one of the best ones whenever you hear this then you are back in that field you're remembering that moment right oh totally cool that's brilliant man we've all got music like that haven't we totally they're from Huddersfield as well which was a, a, a fact I only found out a couple of years ago there you go. that's put Huddersfield on the map then hasn't it yeah well it was uh, it was Paul Wolford who actually told me about the uh, the fact that that's where they're from when I, I posted it up on Twitter a while back and, and he said oh they're from Huddersfield you know it's like no way Get that, let the music 
a lot of the stuff you've gone for in the selection and a lot of the sorts of music you would play and one tune you haven't put in this that I was surprised by you've gone for mainly the soul R&B the musical sort of stuff one tune you left out completely was in my opinion yeah. is Mars Pump Up The Volume where does that sit on your radar? It was a record that I really liked at the time. I think it's one of those ones where, because of how high it got into the charts, you know when a track's success kind of detracts from it, um, and then it becomes a bit of a lesser tune. It's like the first time I ever heard uh, The Power by Snap, I didn't think, you know, tunes could get any harder than it. Yeah. You know, it was proper nails. And then now you listen to it, it's on like some kind of um, dance game on, on the Nintendo Wii and you hear it and it's just a pure out and out pop tune. And it just, how you hear it now is completely different to how it was the first time you heard it. So when I first heard Pump Up The Volume, it was like, whoa, what on earth is this? You know, with all the cuts and scratches and stuff. And it's kind of like the housey vibe. But now it is just a pure pop record. I guess that's how some people may see the tunes that, that we made though. You know, I've, I've seen it before online where people say, you know, Activate was good until it, it got in the charts. And some people don't like the fact that tunes get in the charts, you know, even though it was kind of impossible not for you tunes to go in the charts. I mean, if you imagine how many people were going to raves back then, you know, there's so many raves up and down the country. When a record is released, that's when you get, like, everyone buys that record. And automatically, boom, you, you're projected into the charts. Unless you, like, deleted the record, which would obviously stop, stop you then making money, you know, there's no way that anyone is going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not talking specifically about you, mm. but just in general, there is that joke of, oh, at what point in your career did you sell out? Well, well, the point when someone wrote me a check that paid my mortgage, you know, it's like if someone's paying you checks, you're not going to stop doing something successful. That's ridiculous. I'd see selling out as changing what you're doing to try and maintain something where if you make one single and then the, the following single is a carbon copy and you've maybe just changed a couple of the words or a couple of the notes of the bass line. Absolutely. That's when you're trying to maintain. But if, you're, if you just continue to do what you're doing, yeah. you know, you'll have a brief spell of success. And then, you know, people then move on to something else. And I think that's what that's what happened with Alternate. Yeah. yeah, well, from this side of the speakers, it always seems to me like you've always just stuck true to the music you love and it's true to what you're doing, right? Thank you. Yeah. 
What on earth are you doing to me now, though, Mark? <laughs> Mark Hornsby and the range. I mean, fair play. This is a banger of a tune. I'm back in the car as a little kid, you know, doing a two-hour road trip with my family listening to this, you know. Why, why'd you pick this one? It's another one of the uh, the ones where my dad turned up the, the volume. This, this more than any other tune, is one that reminds me of my dad. Um, and people who've read the book will know uh, what, what I thought of my dad. You know, he, he was pretty much a, a hero to me. So this tune is, of all the tunes that remind me of him, and there are hundreds, this is right at the top. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there was, there was no tune where he turned it up louder and sang louder and played air drums more than, than this one. Yeah, it's an absolute beauty. I'd love to be able to play piano like this as well, but you know, playing instruments was never never something that um, I was fantastically good at, which is why I uh, jumped so heavily into drum machines and, and samplers. That's your direct personal question, Mark. Uh, what year were you born in? 1968. Ah, 68, so... Yes. I can't do the maths on that, actually. That, that, that makes you a year older than my brother, <laughs> which is... Yeah. The grand old age of 52. <laughs> there we go. Thank you for helping me on that one, Mark. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that far behind you, you know? And you get to that point in your life where you're thinking, God almighty, this is me for the rest of it, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, could you ever imagine not going to a rave? Like, what are you going to do when you're 70, you know? That's only 20 years away, you know? Yes, that, that's, the, that's the thing with the, with the DJing. Uh, you know, I, I look at it and it, I've always said to Nikki, as long as there's people there who are willing to listen to me, that's how long I'll continue. If it gets to a point where you've become like a parody of yourself or, you know, people are there, to, to, you're a kind of showpiece or to be laughed at. That's, you know, that's not how I want to end, end my career. Uh, I'm really surprised that, you know, 20, 30 years after, I'm still able to do what I do and, and still be relevant um, in, in some way. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm massively grateful, but I, I don't want ever to, you know, be like the, the flogging a dead horse kind of thing. But uh, it's either that or, you know, where there's, there's certain rooms where you have those like burgundy velour chairs with the gold trim. Right. If I ever play in a venue where there's those chairs, that's when I stop. <laughs> oh man, the thing, the thing I'll say about you, Mark, is you are 100% authentic, right? You are 100% authentic. You love the music, and it shows in everything you do. That's what people love. That's what people tune into. People can see a fraud. They can see, you know. That's why people. Aren't, oh, hang on, we're going into a banger now. But anyway, that's why people, you know, some certain people just aren't into that million-dollar DJ sort of bullshit stuff, you know. We're not interested. We want we want authentic people who are genuinely interested in music. I can't see why, but you know, obviously there are people who do it who aren't in it for the love. But 
I, I, I couldn't do it if I, I didn't love it as much. You know, I've, I've played the same um, selection of tunes for the past 30 years, and if, if I didn't love them that much, I'd have been bored of them years ago. This one is my cue to talk about the Boiler Room set, and that set, man, is just, it's, like I said to you before, it's like one of my top 10 sets. It's a go-to set. If I'm ever like, oh, do you know what? I need to listen to something that's not head wreck, that Boiler Room set. And one of the things in that Boiler Room set, I mean, the choice of tunes on there is unbelievably good. But one thing I love about it, and I was just doing a quick cram before this call, was when you play Gat Dakor, The Passion, and it has that bass, da 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 and then you just do a hard cut straight over to Prodigy, everybody in the place. Oh my God, that is just an inspired mix. Is that something you did previously or is that something you're like, no, no, I'm going to save that. That whole set um, was actually about 10 years in the making where I played, you know, so many sets where you're playing a selection of tunes and you'll, you'll put a certain tune into another one at a certain point and the mix will just be like fluky and you think, I'm going to remember that one. So you remember where you put that one and I logged that mix and then say, so, you know, a year later, you'll do another mix between another, another two tunes and they'll work out perfectly. And that whole set is all those fluky mixes that I did over a, a period of time. And the, the, the prodigy into Gat Decor was one where I just thought it was an obvious mix. And, and so many people have said, why on earth didn't I think of doing that? But it was just, I, I, to, you know, to me, it was just like, why, why hasn't anyone done this? Because he's like, that's, that's, they nicked that. So why don't I just follow it on? Because people aren't expecting it. You drop it, that everybody's in the place bit comes on and people are like, oh, no way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So 10 years in the making, a lot of mixes that are comfortable to you and mixes you're comfortable doing. How much of that was like, okay, I need to go from this to this to this, and I need to get all my timing right? Because I know as a DJ myself, you know, if you plan a set too much and if you miss a cue, you're fucked, you know? Uh, whereas if you just go with the flow, yeah, it'd be a good set, but it won't be yeah. perfect. And that set was perfect. Like, how much of that were you doing and, and how much were you, like, shitting it? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm 100% shitting it. Um, I mean, all the all the big gigs, you know, like a played at Glastonbury or whatever, you know, on that uh, the big robotic spider, and just absolutely shitting it completely. And you just you're just trying, you know, to make sure that your mixes are on point, you know, concentrating 100. But it's I never sit at home before doing a gig and plan. You know, it's like when I was still playing records, you'd flick through and, you know, pull stuff from left, right and centre, just knowing what would go with what. Um, and that the Boiler Room set, that you know, since I did that, a lot of promoters, can you play the Boiler Room set? And you can, you can, you, you can extend the set, you know, if, if you get to the port, part where there's the, the piano tunes and piano tunes are going down well, you extend it by adding like, you know, a, a load of different piano tunes and then get back on track with that set. Or if the piano tunes aren't working, you speed through those and get to the Belgian bit. And if the Belgian stuff works, play a load more Belgian stuff. That, that is just, 
it, it's kind of a set that I, I do when I've gone to a new venue and I don't know whether the crowd are you know like complete heads and they know the underground stuff so you kind of start on a flow and find your feet with the crowds if they're more into the piano you extend that bit there's sometimes when i've got as far as you know the first four tunes the piano stuff and then just played an hour of piano you know not not progressed into belgian the breakbeat anything it, it is just to find find your feet with the crowd kind of thing and that's a bit of a history of rave going from you know the the piano stuff through the belgian stuff into the breakbeat possibly ending very close to jungle This tune right now is the Night Riders' Let the Music Use You. It hardly needs an introduction because it's such an absolute epic tune, yeah? It's just one of those tunes, like, you know, way before the arms in the air piano kind of thing came. It's just so euphoric. But it was it was at a time where it, it, it broke up, you know, the, 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 the majority of the acid house that was being played uh, tonight. You know, it was a bit of a, you know, close your eyes, look up to the sky kind of it. And it's one of the only tunes that could bring me to tears, you know, at the, at the right uh, at the right venue. Yeah, like I say, I think it's one of those classics that if anybody says they're into rave, they'll know this tune, and if they don't know it, they should know it, because yeah. it's, it's, it's an absolute epic. It's, it's a beautiful tune, beautiful tune. Totally. It's got everything going with it as well. I, I love the, the vocal on it, uh, you know, the 808s on it, everything. It's just, oh man, that's just sitting on the beach having a Bacardi, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was the little cowbells, actually, that, that got me into it at first. She was like, any tune that has those little 727 a go-go's that run right the way through the track. That's what really got me into the tune to start with. Every time I heard it, it's, it's that one, it's that one. So the book you wrote, uh, when was that now? That was a couple of years back. I remember buying it as soon as it came off the press. Uh, brilliant book. It's about four years ago now. Yeah, think I think I enjoyed about it as well. Is I'm not much of a book reader. Like I, I read like five six pages before bed. That's the kind of reader I am, you know. And it was a very easy book to read, you know. I think if anybody's not necessarily a book reader, it would definitely be a good one to read. And if someone is a book reader, they'll probably read it in a week. <laughs> My wife's a book reader. She'd read that in a week easy, you know. Uh, it's a really well written book. Did you write it all yourself? Was it all your own hand, or did you have help? It was actually, um, a, 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 the way the book flows is all to do with Andrew Woods, who, who did the writing of the book. Um, the process was, he'd phone me up at 10 o'clock in the morning um, for like a, about a week every day. 
and just ask, say, one question and then just let me burble on for ages. And then he, you know, he wrote everything down and then mm. then he did a rough draft to make sure that the timeline was right because when you asked certain questions then you'd go off on a tangent you know because memories would link to a different time and oh and I did this and we went there and, and we'd have to get the timeline right so everything was you know in, in year order uh, and then then you have to go through it to make sure everything's just factually correct about the, like certain names because there was a there's an instrument on on the 727 called a timbali which is a kind of like latin snare drum and he actually wrote it down as as a bloke's name timbali <laughs> thing I like about the book, uh, again, I, I don't want to talk about Bangface, but the, when I got the book, I have to admit, the first thing I did was go straight to the Bangface chapter. And, uh, you know, I love Bangface, you love Bangface. Bangface we can talk about for an hour easily, but we're not going to talk about Bangface just yet. In that book, you wrote, Bangface made me feel young again. And that, again, just hit the nail on the head for me personally as well, being 48. Yeah, it does. Made me feel young again, man. It is. It just... It's the closest thing to the, the spirit of how it was. The, the music might be, might be com completely different, but it's it's what it's a place where there is a vibe and a friendship, even with complete strangers, which you you know you don't get at a lot of big events these days. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing that really struck me with the book, you know, you were on top of the pops, 92, 93, alternate. It's all going great world at your feet from an outside point of view that's what it looked like and then 94 you're working in argos like what the hell like i mean that must have been a pretty heavy blow for you right not working in argos necessarily i mean people working in argos all the time right i'm not saying anything against it but like you're on top of the pops and then a couple of years later it's all gone I mean, well, before Argos came, the applying for a job at Quicksave and not getting it, applying for a job um, at McDonald's and not getting the job. It, it, there was there was a period where, I, yeah, I, it totally knocked my confidence because one minute I I did have all my eggs in one basket with with the record label, you know, and, and everything was going great, and then because of legal problems with a, a single that they released. And the, the label ended up stopping in, in like 96. Yeah. And I just, I, I felt properly like chucked out of my ear. And I, I didn't know what to do because I'd been that comfortable being with the label for the, the, the past six years. I didn't have any contacts outside of it to send music to, which is why I'd recorded some like jungle stuff. And it, and it sat on that until a few years ago because I didn't know who to send it to and I didn't think anyone would like it if I did send it to them. Um, trying to get jobs because I couldn't do anything other than, than make records um, and not getting jobs at Quicksave or McDonald's or whatever. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a 
a space of like four years where it was a massive downward slide, which uh, yeah, ended in me um, separating from my, my first wife and then meet, meeting someone new who went for a typing test at Argos and said, why don't you do it? It's dead easy. Yeah. And that, that's how I ended up at Argos. It was purely, purely the fact because I've got a computer and I, I could type quite quick that, that I got the job. Yeah. All right, I'm going to turn you in another direction, mate. This track, Move D, I don't know if you're pronouncing this one, Space... Spacer C CKR? Spacer yeah, I put this one into Google and all it comes up with is Mark Archer. I have no idea where this is coming from. It's a tune that I heard of David, and it's just one of those tunes where, like the, the As One tune, I think if I'd heard this then, that would have been a, another tune that I would have listened constantly to kind of, you know, calm me down. It's just a tune that you can absolutely lose yourself. The, the way it, it builds up, doesn't get too frantic, and then really calms down. Um, and it, it's like a, you know, deep meditation kind of tune. It's just absolutely fantastic the way you can lose yourself in it and just nice that when um, I did meet Move D he'd actually done a tune called Archer and because he said that self-hypnosis is, is one of the tunes that actually got him into uh, producing electronic music so it was you know it's just fantastic to finally meet him which I think was about about four years ago yeah uh, that's interesting so we're on a real roller coaster, right? So we've gone from 92, 93 on a high down to not getting a job in McDonald's. And then people telling you, you were an inspiration to them. <laughs> you know, that, that, is, that is an epic ride, right? Yeah. It's a lot of the times where you perceive things and the, the, you know, the downward spiral was not thinking that anyone liked what I was doing or wouldn't like if I sent it. And then years later, you've, you, know, you bump into people and they tell you, you know, if it wasn't for you, they wouldn't have done this. It's like when I've written the book. I had so many messages of people saying they can relate to the whole thing about being bullied at school and and seeing how it's gone for me and it's gone all the way down and then come back up and they say, look, if you can do it, then I can do it. And they've gone out and bought themselves some gear and started making tunes again. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get back into the DJing and, and back into doing what you're doing these days? It was, um, it was a very slow process, to be honest. Um, I mean, by the late 90s, uh, I was playing out because um, I'd done the whole slow motion thing with Danny Torres um, and we, we ran a, a label called Dancer Records up until 96. And then that stopped, and I was kind of a, a, a like a, a crossroads where you know what, what do I do now? And I did a bit of DJing in Wolverhampton at a club called uh, the Canal, and thought it was it was building again. I mean, I was only uh, like earning like a hundred pounds a night, 
and then an organisation called Money Pennies actually bought the, the the whole venue and took it over and bought in their own DJ. So after like two years of building it slowly, I was out on my ear again and completely fell out with the whole idea of DJing and music and everything in '99. Um, and I'd, I'd pretty much given up on it and then got an out of the blue phone call, someone saying I'd like to book alternate to, to play a gig in Nottingham. And I said, I don't, I don't know whether you know, but like the, the group kind of split up in 94. And they said, look, look, I don't mind who's wearing the suits as long as you're on stage and you're playing the music. Uh, so I got Danny, um, who I had done slow motion with, uh, because I knew he, he knew how to play keyboard. So he, he stood in, wore the other suits. We got a MC who, who we'd been using towards the end in like 91, 92. Yeah. We got one of our original dancers and then one of the dancers from Bizarre Inc. Um, and, and it was weird that we hadn't done an alternate gig since 93. Because then in 1999, it was as though we'd done a gig like the previous Saturday. It was just, it was that chaotic, but exactly the same as it had been. And from, from that gig, it was as though people said, oh, the alternate is still about. And kind of revival gigs had started at that kind of time, like late 90s. And I was asked if I'd DJ. Um, and at that point, to try and make some money, because obviously you know, the, the record label in 96 had, had gone bump and all my savings had gone, you know, I was, I was pretty penniless. I'd sold a lot of my records. Luckily, I'd kept enough to, to um, put a set together and uh, played at a, a, it was like a Shelley's reunion. And from then it just it just started to to take off slowly. I mean, it was a real, you know, all the way through the 2000s, it was a very slow curve, just building it back up again. Selling your records, man, that must have been a bit of a low point. So I know now you you've got a very proud record collection now. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it was a very low point when the, I'd boxed all my records up, uh, driven from uh, Stafford to Birmingham, lugged them all the way into this shop. Now, bearing in mind, you know, there was about like 1,500, like hardcore, you know, acid, whatever. You know, so even at a pound a piece, you know, there's 1,500 quid. And the bloke offered me 300 pounds. And in hindsight, and I mean hindsight's a wonderful thing, there's so many things, you know, I wish I hadn't done, but it was that touch and go, I accepted the 300 pounds because I didn't didn't want to have to lug all the records back. You know what I mean? I was, I was on like um, suburban base mailing list, reinforced mailing list, moving shadow mailing list, you know, the, the, everything went. You know, and it, 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 you're on the verge of tears selling them because you didn't want to, but I had to. And then got back to my car and got a, a parking fine. Oh, you know, it's just, just Yeah, just one of those days. So we completely missed that last tune, the beat Mirror in the Bathroom, 1980. That's another memories tune, right? Yeah, it was one of the, the scenes that where I used to live in a, a little village called Nosov. Uh, we moved there when I was around 10 and you had to like heavy metal, basically. Otherwise you'd get beaten up. <laughs> um, so 
it was that that kind of music the whole the two-tone scar thing was a bit of a rebellion against the people who you know insisted that you liked um heavy metal and and, and i got into that briefly and that's you know there's so many great tunes from from that two-tone thing but that that's possibly you know the the, the one that it, it, it vies with plus one is one of my favorite tunes of all time again yeah absolute classic and the uk ska scene uh northern soul all of that i mean it's just so much great music out there isn't there oh fantastic And now you got into another tune. Uh, how you pronounce this one? Gnork Blorp 93. This is uh, 2017 and it's on Unknown Into the Unknown label. That's a great label, that isn't it? Unknown Into the Unknown. It's an absolutely brilliant tune. It's one of those tunes where if you break it down, it's got everything in a tune that I like. You know, just, just the pads and the breakbeat and the bass. And when you don't think it could get any better, this like little arpeggio comes in. just absolute perfection it's on yellow vinyl and it's 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 gone you know right into my top 10 all-time tunes when when i first heard it i think that the first time i ever heard it dj was it honey hnny was doing a, a boiler room i think it was in stockholm or somewhere like that and when he played this he just like you could tell he was so into it you know he just lost it and started dancing and it, it, ever since then i've been mad into this tune yeah, that's a beauty. So where are you now with the newer stuff, the newer music? Like what sort of stuff, what sort of labels are you listening to these days for pleasure? It's never really been about labels. Um, I mean, you, you know, there, there are certain labels that you can guarantee, you know, something's going to be great, you know, and, and buy on site, like, like with labels like Moving Shadow and Suburban Bass and stuff. But it, like the, the guys like um, Samurai Breaks, uh, Denim Audio, uh, Barai, West Norwood Cassette Library, uh, Local Group, Group, very blur, L major, all those guys who were doing, you know, like the the hardcore stroke kind of um, early jungle sound, you know, they're, they're right up my street.
Yeah, I was listening to your um, Back to Mind mix earlier on this morning, and uh, you got a lot of these tunes were on that mix as well. So I think if anyone's out there going, oh, I want to listen to these tunes, but I don't want to hear all this talking all over it, uh, Back to Mind, that's on Mixcloud. I'll put a link on the podcast to that as well. Again, <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one, man. It's good uh, listen to music. Like, a lot of this is good listen to music. You know, it's uh, really good stuff. It's a, it's a lot of a lot of tunes that I heard either, you know, when I was a when I was a kid and my dad would have the radio on all the time, or you know, just utter classics that uh, you know have, have cropped up while while I've been been here. You know, like the, the, the acid stuff, electro. You know, doing fifteen is quite difficult trying to pick. You know, fifteen tunes that. There's so many others that I, I, I could have dropped in, yeah. you know, so many different like acid house tunes. But then you have to think like, pick like five acid house tunes, and then pick which one out of those, you know, sums it up best. Yeah. Um, and I think with with this one day, uh, street level funk, show me what you got. The, the acid patterns on it are just so savage on it. You know, this is like my favorite acid patterns, but it's also got, you know, like the, the whole piano thing, which made it different to a lot of the, the, the acid stuff around in 88. One of the things I think is really interesting about acid, though, is it's very much our sound for rave. You know, it's it, you know everything like drums, bass, singing. It's all previously existed in music before the 1980s, 1990s. Whereas acid is, you know, you don't get acid in heavy metal or rap or anything else. It's it's our sound, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you. Well, even though it was designed for a completely different idea, and you know, you get the purists going, oh, well, you can trace acid back as far as 1953. It's like, oh, whatever. Yeah. But another thing about this this track, I actually sampled it for Activate on what was the first version where we actually went into a studio because I wrote Activate um, myself at home as just a little ditty to play out, you know, when we did live gigs and people seemed to like it. And it was it was very raw. It just had like drums and acid pattern, a couple of vocal samples, and the acid pattern was off this. Um, and then we took it into the studio, 
embellished it a bit, put the, the violins in, but it was still the same like drum track, acid pattern that I sampled off this, and some sub bass and a stab pattern. And that became the B-side mix, which is the Vix Vapor mix. So, uh, so it's another reason why I picked this one. Yeah, excellent, excellent stuff, man. Tell me a bit about what it's like DJing at that Arcadia stage, you know, the big metal spider in Glastonbury. I mean, how many people was that? That was 40,000 or am I misremembering that? Yeah. I mean, you must have been thinking, fucking hell, like, you know? It was, I'd played on that stage before, but I'd, it was the year previous at, and they had the stage at, at Boomtown. And I was the first one. So I opened the stage. So it, it went from literally one person sat on the floor underneath the spider while I was DJing shout and they were like shouting and you know thumbs up and all the rest while I started playing my set to there being you know like a fair crowd around it by the time I'd finished but it was still during like the day and um, so you know there was there was none of the like compressed gas flamethrower lasers you know it was just me playing on the spider and then I was asked to do it um, at Glastonbury yeah and they said, you're going to be closing the stage for the entire weekend. So you're going to be the last person playing on that stage, for, like for the whole of Glastonbury. No pressure. Which, you, yeah, you know, straight straight away. So there, there's that pressure. And then when I got there, they told me that uh, Drew Bonwarder were on and then too many DJs, then it was me. So it was like, no pressure following them guys either. And then we'd, we'd actually camped with the Arcadia crew um, while we were there. So we were kind of like, you know, a hundred yards away from the spider itself in a tent. So you'd come out of your tent and walk towards the spider. So you'd just see the people around you. You know, you wouldn't have an elevated view of how many people were there. And then when, just before I'd, I'd like put my, my trousers on for the NBC suit yeah. and one of the guys, Ben, said, look, before you put your, your, your top and mask on, just come up the ramp a bit first because I want to show you how many people are here. And you, you have to climb up this really tiny ramp up to the spider. And I got like halfway up so you could see above like the, the boundaries of this and it was just like 360 people everywhere. Um, and it's oh Christ, you know, what, what earth am I going to do now? And again, it, it's, it was one of those concentration things where you're following too many DJs, you know, absolutely annihilated the place. And then I knew that there's so many other stages where people actually, you know, we've seen too many DJs, let's go, I want to go and check this. So it was like pressure right from the get-go. You've got to, you know, pull them out of the bag and, and just be constant, you know, no let up, no putting a tune on where people are going, actually, you know, I'm going to go to the bargain, then we're going to go and check these. So trying to keep that crowd, because if you see a massive crowd like that start dispersing and people see other people going, then actually, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a proper hard work set. Um, you know, pro probably the most, that and the boiler room guaranteed the two most precious sets of, of my entire career. Um, Nikki decided to go out into the crowd and does, does this patented, woohoo! And I could hear her, but obviously I couldn't see her. I had no idea where she was. But she was, she was taking film while she was out there and she could hear people 
saying like, right, after this one, we'll go. And then the next tune will come on, we'll be like, well, we will stay for this one, but after this one, we're definitely going. <laughs> and then I put another one on and they're like, actually, fuck it, we're staying. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing sets like that, I mean, with the boiler room and all the rest of it, you must look back and think, you know, the day, the dark days are gone, and, and this really just goes to prove that actually, you, Mark Archer, standing on your own two feet, have really got what it takes, right? It must must feel you with pride, absolutely. It's, yeah, it, um, you know, it, it is an achievement. It's just, uh, you know, the same with with the book and everything. It's like if I look back to, you know, when I left school or whatever, and uh, you know, if I'd have told myself you're going to write a book. You know, not a chance. You know, even a few years ago, if I'd have said, you know, you'll give me to a boiler room, I didn't think that, you know, that old school thing was something that the boiler room would ever, ever want to do. You know, it was always, you know, very upfront kind of music. Um, and it's thanks to, to Loan, really, for, for asking them to get me on for, for what was his um, launch party in, in Nottingham. So, you know, I owe him a, a great deal for getting me on that gig. So it's true what they say then, life begins at 40. Well, uh, I'm, I met Nicky when I was about 42, so it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty much right. The other one I was going to ask you about as well, you know, talking about the pressure of playing a big set and all the rest of it, uh, is I always love seeing people coming up, you know, new young people coming through. Uh, what advice would you give to someone starting out now who's like going to play their set and they're thinking, oh shit, I'm playing to 20 people or 50 people? I always used to think, like, for, for when you when you play, because I've seen people who I knew were really good at DJing um, who play like on internet radio or whatever, and then they'd play in a little club with, you know, like, 10 people stood there who were their mates and they just go to absolute pieces and you know the dip. I still get nervous when, when I DJ you know I, I still I, and total random and you can never tell whether it's going to be a big gig a small gig whatever get the shakes you know um, but it's just remember that you're enjoying that music you're there for that particular reason because the person who's booked you likes what you do and those people are there because they like what you do. Just just play for you. It, it was the same with when, when we made um, the alternate tunes, you know, we were just making tunes that we liked, that we'd like to hear being played out. And if other people enjoy them, it's a complete not a bonus. You know, the, the fact that 30 years on, people are still liking it is just beyond any bonus I could have imagined. But it's, you know, you've just, you've just got to, make sure that you enjoy it yeah i completely agree with you and i think as well when i'm watching djs you know maybe amateur djs whatever the ones that are actually having fun and you see them having fun you see they're actually playing the music for themselves they're really enjoying it and they're really getting into it you know pumping the fist in the air and all that sort of stuff that people are totally into it 
Whereas the people that's sitting there going, oh, hang on, I'm just going to hide behind my, you know, the, the, the decks and just sort of timidly push at the buttons, they just lose it like a little bit. You know, you've got to really beat yourself. Yeah, the energy, to, energy totally translates. I mean, um, the other year there was a guy called Sully who played in one of the rooms at Bangface. And there was a girl who was DJing before him, and she was—it was almost like a going through the motions kind of, you know, just didn't read the room at all. And he came on and totally lifted the room, just you know, by the vibe he was giving off. You know, the, the tunes that he was playing, you could see he was enjoying it. Totally translated, and the room completely f like filled back up because it was proper emptying. Filled back up, and by the end of his set, you know, the room was absolutely rammed and going off. Huge love for Sully. Oh man, Sully, I, he's such a jungle don. I want to I yeah. talk tunes with him at some point. Yeah, next level. If I can get his contact details out, I want to try and get his agent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sully, man, what a don. Look, this tune, right? Aaron Smith got me going around. This, this is sort of stuff that I just kills me. Ten minute long track, like <laughs> ten minutes. What do you do? Put it on, go for a piss, and come back. It is an epic tune, like, but it's it's one of those ones where you don't even realise it's that long once you've listened to it, you know, because it keeps the interest going. But it was um, around '95, I think, when I first heard this. Um, there was a Roger Sanchez tape doing the rounds and we were doing the whole like Zen Mantra uh, slow motion. We were running the dancer record label at the time. You know, getting fully involved with the whole like American house garage thing. Um, and this, this tape became like a bit of a holy grail thing where we, we had to collect pretty much every tune off this tape. You know, we were all trying to find these tunes. And this was one of the tunes um, on the Vibe record label out of Chicago. And he played so many tunes off this one particular label. And it was a, such an epic tape. But the UBQ, um, which is, I think it's Aaron Smith and Terry Hunter. Um, who's, I mean, he's been making tunes since way back. You know, very talented producers. And just just their keys and their pads and everything just you stood them apart from everyone else who was making this kind of stuff at the time. Where did you find out about music? Um, I mean, years ago, it was it was purely through like uh, you know your mates getting you onto stuff, passing tapes around you. You know, right from the get go with the with the whole breakdance thing, you'd hear like someone playing a tape, and guaranteed you'd ask, "What is this tune?" And they wouldn't know they wouldn't know the name. But oh, can I borrow the tape and do a copy of it? and then you'd do a copy of it and then play someone else and oh i've got that and then you'd find out the name and go and buy it it was purely word of mouth you know like people said have you heard this have you heard that and that went on for like years um and in particular like the, this tune it was off i don't even know where i got the roger sanchez tape from but then he was like i've got to find everything every single tune on this and i mean you know there's there was no way of searching it on the internet so it was just, oh, you never guess what, I've found out what that track is. They tell you, and off you go, you know, go and buy it. Yeah. But these days now, where are you finding music? There's, there's a, a fair bit of it is, is still like promos. Um, you know, I, I get sent digital promos, and mainly for like the, the kind of breakbeat stuff. 
but also you know through through friendships with like the uh, the denim audio guys um you know they when they do remixes of stuff uh, they've got new eps out you know they'll they'll send me bits and bobs through people posting stuff up on 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 facebook you know someone will post like a particular track and you you like the sound of it and you do a bit of a delve you know find out the album's pretty dope you know and you go and put it in a different way yeah it's not hugely different though is it really no no Back then it was peers and these days it's still peers same myself like it, it's your peer group you, you've got certain channels you tune into and certain avenues you've, you'll always follow and a bit of crate digging and a bit of yeah. random stuff that just comes in there right totally you know and it's, even even people who who you know play like a completely different kind of uh, sound to yourself you know you you'll be listening to them and they'll drop something that's hold on a minute where has this been yeah you know and then you you know you straight in the pm's like what on earth is that tune discovering new music man it's, it's always a pleasure isn't it absolute pleasure oh to- totally totally I'll take you on another tangent as well, right? One thing I've often thought about is like you go back to like the 50s and you know, you've got Elvis, rock and roll, and then you've got the psychedelics, the hippies, you've got heavy metal, all these different sort of musics that have come up from like, you know, the 50s through to let's say 1990s, right? The 90s, you've got what, 80s, 90s, you've got electronic music, 90s, you've got rave. But like since rave, there hasn't really been any major new music you know there's been lots of different styles of rave you know everything from drum and bass to side trance hardcore house techno all of that but like within that spectrum there's no absolute 180 degree pivot into a whole new style right there's no new youth movement there is no punk there is no it's just continuation of what happened before yeah like do you think do you think i often wonder with the pandemic if afterwards something new will emerge it's it's a it's a weird one because i you know i thought that something new would come along with the, you know, the whole political climate, like it did, you know, in the late 80s, where, you know, you just, the youngsters were, you know, so downtrodden, and you know, there's pretty much no hope, and there was the escapism of the whole rave scene, and and you know, nowadays it's it's very much like that. I don't know whether the pandemic has put a halt to that but I, I i honestly can't i can't see what what would be new yeah you know it's yeah it's i think everything has has kind of been done you know there's even people you know trying to make like anti-music which is like you know got, got no kind of rhythm or or any kind of um sequence to it at all and it's you're not slagging off breakcore now mark we're, we're gonna fall out if you start slagging off breakcore <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, do, do you know what? I, I'm one person. Obviously, you know, everyone has their personal opinions on music. I've never ever got into, you know, slating a certain kind of music. It's totally, total no. wasted energy. You know, it's like all these, all these people who want to put David Guetta down. You know, it's like absolutely go and do better yourself. You know, if you, yeah, why, why are you wasting your time slagging him off? He's, he's of no consequence to you whatsoever. You know, it's just, it's just pointless. I, you know, I like what I like. I don't what I don't like, but I'm not going to tell anyone this shit because to them it might be the best thing on the planet. You know, and, and what I do, I'm not going to please everyone. And you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go around saying loads of other stuff is shit because I could have that level 
you know, quite fairly at me. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with you, Mark. But yeah. let's be honest, mate. It's between friends, right? When you're at Bankface and you walk into the wrong room sometime and it's like some seriously shit break call going on, you know, some like, oh my God, you must be like, oh, <laughs> get me out of here, right? <laughs> I have walked in various rooms, not just at Bankface, you know, I've played where, where old school has been the back room and I've walked in and what on earth is going on with the wheels? But you know, you, you're in a room where everyone is like, you know, losing their shit to it. You know, you go in the Queen Vic, so sometimes and and the place is just going absolutely bonkers and it's like you know th that's that's what it's about yeah absolutely absolutely yeah absolutely so look now we're on to mayday wigging 1991 uh do you want to talk about this one mayday yes it was um it, it was an absolute huge tune in my career if this tune hadn't been made Nexus 21 wouldn't have started. Wow, I didn't know that. So, it, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I sampled the bass line, like wholesale, took the bass line off this. And did, did a track called Real Love, where we put a vocal over this bass line. Um, and Derek apparently heard it and said, you know, who are these motherfuckers nicking my, my stuff? I'll break their kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Rushton told him, you know, don't worry, they've signed to us, they're cool, you know, they're doing it out of respect. And it was purely out of respect. One, I hadn't got the equipment to make, you know, those kind of noises. Plus, it, it, it was just, it, that bass line is that good. It's, I've, I've got to have that. Um, but it was the first, hearing this tune was what made me want to make a techno album. Um, so then Nexus 21 started and I sampled that bass line. So if I hadn't have heard that, Nexus 21 wouldn't have, wouldn't have started. Alternate wouldn't have started, you know. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably be like a butcher. So, yeah. you know, it, profound effect on my career, that one. I remember you saying, uh, I don't know if it was in the book or in an interview somewhere I heard, you were saying that you were doing painting and decorating and someone said to you, you, you had a day where you didn't have any job or you didn't have any work and someone said, oh, do you want to come around and make tunes? And that was the start of it for you? Yeah. Um, well, it, it was before, like a year before we started Bizarre Inc. and Nexus 21 or all that lot. Um, I'd, I was actually a painter and decorator when I left school. Um, and I'd just literally been laid off from the firm. It was like last, last in, first out. So they hadn't got any work. So they laid me off and, you know, I got the sack. Yeah. And I was walking from um, the firm, you know, I got there in the morning. Oh, sorry, we've got no work. You haven't got a job. Oh, okay. Walked back into town. And as I walked past um, the co-op in the middle of Stafford, uh, Dean, who I knew from the breakdancing days, he was uh, like a year or two below me um, in school years and he was doing a, a work experience in co-op you know so as i walked past i saw him and he got like a shirt and trousers and stuff and so i laughed um and the emotion for me to go in and i went in he was like uh, what are you doing i've just been sacked so I've, I've got myself a pair of decks uh, why don't you come round? And I just got myself um, this little uh, home keyboard. It was like a little home sampler. Yeah. 
um, a Casio SK-1, it was called. Got it from Dixon's on a payment plan. And basically, you could press a button, blow a raspberry into it, and then play, play the raspberry up and down the keyboards. And it was just because I wanted to find out how they did certain things on records. There was no intention to make music myself. It was just, oh, I wonder how they do that. Yeah. And I took a keyboard along to Dean's. He got two copies of a certain like drum loop, cut it up while I played noises over the top. And we made a demo cassette, took it to a studio that had just opened like you know say a month previous in stafford and the bloke signed us up and you know that that's how my career started pure luck it's amazing isn't it it's amazing to think that things like that just happened yeah okay now we're on to another tune right chic everyone dance 1997 and i think with all the stuff you put in this playlist um you know it's all it's even bit like i said to you before you know it's a rave show so let's put loads of rave music in there mm. it's it's if it's not rave it's something that would fit in with rave right i don't know if you call chic rave or not i'd call this disco yeah um, yeah it's definitely would fit in right definitely would fit in it, it is the tune i think when you look back at things it's like when i used to hear music on the radio you know as a kid and you know nothing about production or genres or you know scenes at all you just liked it because you liked it it was a good tune but thinking back on it this was the first tune where i actually liked a particular sound and and then when you piece it all together i really liked all the stuff that that chic were doing but you know not knowing that's who they were, you know, that they produced tunes for other people, like um, they did a tune called uh, We Are Spacer by Sheila B and Devotion. Very similar kind of sound, but had no idea it was produced by them, you know, because you just, at that age, you don't like read records or, or listen to produced certain tunes. So it was, that was the first tune where I ever actually got into a particular sound. Did you ever meet Nile Rogers? I guess you must have at some point, right? I've seen Sheik play a, a couple of times. I've never actually met him. Would love to. Um, but, I mean, when they play live, they're just, they are absolutely phenomenal. Probably my, my favourite group ever live. And I'm, I'm not mad on on live gigs, to be honest. I think Sheik and Earth, Wind and Fire, the only two groups I'd ever really loved to have seen, and obviously I can't see Earth, Wind and Fire, um, but managed to catch Sheik a couple of times, and they're, they're just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he's still on the go, still on the go, like, you know, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, Russell Brothers, the party scene, this brings us to the end of the session, mate. It's, uh, like I say, an hour and 20 it's not gonna be enough time yeah it's if i had to pick one electro record because I've, I've tried to get you know certain things from different styles that i've been into um and and electro was such a massive deal for me uh, the first scene that i really jumped into you know and have kind of followed right through you know, for the, the the electro funk and soul hip-hop into house rave acid you know the the whole things um but this is if if you had to pick one electro record this would probably be the the one that you know i'd say was my all-time favorite you know just 
the production on the beats and and how clear the rap is. Um, it's just uh, an absolute phenomenal tune, and it was. It, I guess it was backed up by the fact the tune was used as a as a jingle on Mike Allen's radio show, which was. It was like a syndicated radio show that went round to all the network stations throughout the country. Um, so uh, you, sitting at home in Nosel, I managed to get to listen to, you know, like uh, hip hop and stuff that you'd normally only hear on like pirates in big cities. Yeah, I mean, again, everything you've gone through here, you know, it's either breakdance, electro, disco, um, and you can see, you know, for anybody that was interested in that sort of thing, how you can go from that into what, what, what became, you know, the 88 rave, Acid House, and then into the 92 rave and where, and where we are today. Like, it's all the precursor stuff that, you know, we built off. And again, when I was a kid, you're probably the same yourself, you know, into that breakdance. You talk about that film, Breakdance. I'd imagine that's not aged well as a film. But I remember watching that film thinking, wow, those people in America, they know what they're doing, right? Absolutely phenomenal. One of me, you know, that, that and Beach Street, um, all-time favourites. Man, some amazing stuff back in those. I, I'm trying to remember back to... <laughs> what it was like when I was 12. <laughs> yeah, look, this has brought me back there anyway, man. Like the Shaka Carnival, straight off, like it's a good start. It's a good start to the whole show. And that's the thing with the, with the music, though. You know, that it doesn't matter how old or how new the music is. You attach certain memories to pieces of music. And when you know you might not have heard that tune for years, you pull that piece of music out, play it, and bang, that memory's straight there, you know. And that's that's the wonderful thing about music. So, Mark, we're getting towards the end of the show. Is there anyone you want to do shout outs to? Everyone who's supported Alternate, you know, over the years, it has been a proper roller coaster. And even, I hate that term, but it's, it has been, you know, proper ups and downs. Um, but the, the support recently, you know, with the, the Hard Crew single um, that should hopefully be dropping at the end of January. Um, bang face and all, all the crew there, you know, and yeah yourself included you know the, the support there because the, the first time i ever played bang face i felt um i'm never going to play here again you know what on earth were we doing here because it went from us to you know to some like really mental break course straight after and it's just why on earth have we been booked and then you know i've done every single weekend in one guise or another and you know the, the support it's just phenomenal, especially you know, the last set that I played uh, last year uh, in the Queen Vic, you know, and it was such a, a different weekend because of the, the pandemic. But the vibe, the vibe there, nonetheless, was was absolutely incredible, you know, and, and, and that to be the last set that I've played, um, you know, it, it was a brilliant memory. Yeah. Well, here's to 2021. I mean, hopefully, you know, with the vaccine and what have you, hopefully things start getting back to normal, you know, get back into it. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, there'll be, a... <laughs> be some epic raves, I tell you, man. There's a lot of pressure built up. 
that needs releasing. Oh, totally. Someone has actually said this year on Twitter, because of the mask thing and being tagged in, like, you know, so many, anyone wearing a mask, right from, you know, before, before, like, March, you know, the, the, when it started up in China and, and people were showing pe- pictures of people wearing masks going onto planes and stuff, and straight away, oh, it's an alternate reunion, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and, and I have been tagged. Does you know how? And that's it. I'd imagine that it has brought alternate to the attention of people. Even this week, someone tweeted up, fucking hell, I've not listened to alternate for yonks. And then there's a massive spread of all these things. Oh, no way, I remember this, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it, all it does is take a like and a thank you as a reply. And straight away, fucking hell. Um, and then they'll tweet something like, Mark Archer's like one of my tweets. You know, it's like, hmm. you straight away, you know, it doesn't take much just to, you know, interact with, with people. And and straight there on the tip, you know, oh, I've just pulled out full of musky steer, giving it a play, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's pretty much brought us to the end of the session. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I think we've pretty much covered everything, haven't we? Um, I think I think you pretty much covered absolutely everything and more. There we go. Yeah, see, see. I know, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> did you did his own words? <laughs> did my own. Well, I, I know you well, mate. I know you well. So you know. Um... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll uh, let you go, Mark. Uh, thank you for taking the time to set the call. Pleasure as always. Totally. Totally. Good one. See you, mate. Have a good one. Lovely. Bye now. Take care. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>